0: This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them, spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Pietro Tomayer. He is the co-founder of a retail uh, website called The Limited Edition. Pietro, welcome.
1: Thank you, Ariel. I'm so glad to be here with you. I've been a, a longtime long time fan
0: of uh, of your work across the years. So, uh, yeah, brilliant to be uh, to be on board today. One of the most interesting things for me in in today's watch industry, something that defines it, is what I call the internet conversation. We now have a very robust conversation, uh, which used to be in written form which is now in both you know, video and audio only form of personalities all around the world, um, including collectors and watchmakers and retailers. And we have this conversation to audiences on the Internet. W- would you not agree that this is something which is a defining factor of the watch industry right now?
1: Absolutely, and I think it's changed the landscape in a in a big way. I am uh, I am old enough to remember the times where to market and to promote watchmaking, you needed to build this uh, this cloud, you know, the, this cloud that was coming from uh, print, you know, print media's and uh, uh, advertising in general, where you would build mainly a perception of reality rather than uh, you know a, a feel a feeling of reality, which is the Weapon that we have today uh, to explain things just for what they are, rather than uh, just based on the aspirational uh, side to it, and the fact that the industry we are in is mainly connected with luxury, so uh, lifestyle, etc., etc. Um, to to answer. You know, directly to your question, I think the limited edition wouldn't be here um, if it wasn't for this kind of opportunity that is given by direct, genuine marketing, as I like to call it.
0: So, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that leads me into so many different you know, parts of the conversation. But, you know, you, you talk about coming from a background of doing a lot of things. Another thing which I think defines a lot of the people in the space that have success is their ability to adapt and to uh, change with the time, still essentially promoting the same passion that they have, but to adapt. You've, I'm sure, seen so many people who have not been able to adapt, Right. Uh, The dinosaurs, if you will. This industry is always full of dinosaurs by definition.
1: I think I recognized in 15 years of corporate career, as I like to call it, you know, starting from Richmond and then specializing more uh, on the independent brands. I recognized there were some gaps um, for, you know, uh, from my perspective in how things were proposed to collectors, for collectors to fully enjoy the passion and the hobby of uh, collecting, uh, you know, timepieces. So I I thought I had a business model in mind uh, and in 2015, I started and I said, okay, I'm going to give a place to all of those that are into the alternative underground uh, watchmakers that you can't find on the high street and still seven years down the line, you still can't find most of them on the high street to feel part of a community and to um, uh, build knowledge and education without filters. Uh, I thought I had a business model in mind, but as you say, then uh, uh, you learn as you as you go along. The The, the important factor for me was recognize that there was an issue there to try to fill that gap and how we've done it yes has changed across the years as we as we saw how things were uh, developing so definitely uh, the big advantage we had um, was also the fact that our industry the watchmaking always takes time you know to adapt to embrace Uh, we've always had a little bit of presumption to to know it better just because we are you know very good at selling very expensive items you know to um, an international audience around the world and 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 often anachronistic items as well because you know Ariel don't get me started on this but if we if we want to talk about the functional use of a of a mechanical timepiece today of course we could talk for for ages so there is a bit of a you know uh, sometimes healthy but sometimes unhealthy arrogance of thinking that we know it better but in terms of what the marketing has been uh, back in the days when I was in the corporate world, I don't think I have actually learned, uh, that much. Uh, you know, it wasn't that the revelation that you would think it would be when you work in the big groups. So I felt bold and brave enough to then one day do it myself. And, uh, We've been very lucky because, of course, being specialized in independent watchmakers, now it is it is that time has come for independent watchmaking to be uh, as predominant as it is at the moment. I hope I've answered your question.
0: <laughs> sure, you answered a lot of questions. <laughs> you said that some people may believe that being at one of these big corporate groups teaches you something. What what do you think people believe that you're supposed to learn there that you might not actually learn?
1: No, it's just. Um, Oh, what wow. uh, this is a complex, uh, complex theme, but uh, I think the days of you know you need a crown to feel successful in your life, and you need a product to be able to give you that self satisfaction. Um, you know, I grew up in the eighties, in the nineties, in Italy, where those concepts were very, very uh, dominant in a way. But I think that time is is, is gone, has passed, um, and I think those days and those convictions were fueled by the fact that. Uh, Again, you didn't have direct access to the makers, you didn't have direct access to the crafts that went behind building a watch. Still, you know, I have nothing against Rolex, but still Rolex is a is a watch where you can't see the movement. You can't appreciate what you're actually passionate about, <laughs> you know, for, for those like me that are passionate about watchmaking. I always say, don't trust a, a watch uh, of which you can't see the mechanical heart and the movement. So my point is only about the fact that direct access to information has brought people to more to a better understanding of what's the real nature of of watchmaking so the fact that a watch makes you feel that you're wearing a crown has become less determinant compared to what it was when i started in this trade in uh, in 2001
0: that's interesting i hear you i hear you what what did you do at Rishmott? forgive me i don't know what your what your role there was i know you were there for some years (laughs) but what did you do there
1: Oh, I was the most irrelevant of uh, all the uh, the people that have joined and, and stayed at Richmond for a long time. But I l- I learned a lot. Uh, I I came in in Milan when uh, Richmond basically acquired two brands one was, was Panerai one was uh, Montegrappa and I was assigned to the wrong <laughs> project of the two I was assigned to Montegrappa so the writing instruments brand but I was- visited
0: I visited during the brief time that Richmond owned them
1: Oh yeah good man good man we, I was we there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. Were you there at the Paulo Coelho party
1: Ah Paulo Coelho yes absolutely I was
0: uh, I, I was, was at that party. Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah. I was on my way out <laughs> in those days, actually. Yeah, but it's yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was. It was the time of a World Cup as well uh, back. In yeah, the day, so yeah. I remember
0: that. I remember was, that. I visited yeah. there for that. Yeah. Be- beautiful place. But with Giuseppe, right? So Giuseppe
1: uh, reacquired the the brand yeah, when R- he yeah. R- 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 got fed up with it, basically. <laughs> to put yeah. So I West.
0: was. I was. I was there when he. It was still under. Um, Richmond, and then we've kept in touch. Yeah, uh, what a small world! That's funny. Absolutely,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And that experience was uh, pivotal for me because I learned, you know, I, I had big responsibilities as a young manager because the brand was really, really small for Richmond. But at the same time, I was in a big corporation where I could also see what was going on uh, around us. So it was very formative in that respect.
0: So you go independent and. We see a lot of people doing this, and you probably also notice the same thing that the watchmakers do this, and we see this as a trend many, many times where a watchmaker will spend maybe some years at a brand and then has an entrepreneurial spark, if you will, right, and says, I want to do something by myself, whether it's make my design or have more control of my destiny but you have a certain percentage of watchmakers that also have this entrepreneurial spark. By by all means, they don't all have it, right? It's not something which is common to them all. And they need someone like you who has the similar trajectory mentally, but rather than being in watchmaking is in sort of sales, brand development, whatnot. And then when you two meet up and maybe have a few more resources, you have like the chemical makings of an independent brand, right?
1: Yeah, I think... When you uh, address, like we try to do, uh, people that are heavily um, passionate about Uh, mechanical watchmaking. There is a need of putting things in context because as you said, there is all sorts, you know, there is big brands, there is uh, um, smaller brands, there is uh, independent brands, there there are brands that are part of big groups, then there are independent watchmakers, contemporary watchmakers, micro-brands. So um, for as much as you can be passionate about something like independent, sorry, um, watchmaking in general, Things are not uh, often put into context, if that makes sense. If you go to, you can you can go to London, you can go to New York, you can go to LA, and uh, say that you want to start, you know, collecting watches. And the first thing you go, you go to, uh, you know, the best, the best retailers, and see what they have on the shelves. That is not necessarily the representation of what the world of watchmaking is. And, um, and especially in 2015, when even the internet was only seen as uh, either a good source of information for the people like yourself, Ariel, they were doing uh, incredible work to create education and to create contents. Uh, you know, I could mention other blogs that we, we, we really appreciate such as Monochrome, for example, you know, people like you, like Frank, they've been, uh, just creating education and that was a good way to learn about watchmaking. But if you didn't know, um, or you weren't necessarily informed uh, about those sources of, of information, uh, in order to, uh, acquire, Acquire and understand uh, watchmaking on the internet. You would only find discounting, basically. So that's what the internet was still seeing in 2014, uh, in terms of um, our hobby. So I thought if we use the internet, you know, uh, uh, as a, as a source of information, uh, but also we give the opportunity to both the the makers to be explained and to be put into context in a in a, in a curated way. And at the same time, to the collectors, to kind of have a, a more of a direct access to the makers, big question mark: Is that something that can be commercially and viable also from a business pers- perspective? Well, the answer was no for, for two, three years. As you know, you know you
0: start something and you tr- try to see. You need how. determination <laughs> in this industry, exactly. if anything, persistence and Absolutely. determination.
1: Absolutely, and there's still one thing, and you know it very well, Ariel. That uh, when you work harder than anyone else, already you know some some good stuff will come your way. And uh, and I think that today we are lucky that uh, you know um, the internet has become uh, like a valuable source of information. People have no problem in spending big money on the on the internet if they if they trust obviously who they're dealing with. And at the same time, uh, the independent watchmaking has finally reached the status that I kind of thought uh, it would have reached. Because in my view, the essence of our passion for watchmaking is in the artisanal part of it. Um, we can agree or we can disagree, but there's a, the, there are quite a lot of people thinking the same around the world and before they were not represented, and and today, you know, very humbly, we have a, a small, you know, group of uh, collectors that they feel represented because of the limited edition into this uh, community.
0: So the most challenging thing about getting someone excited about sort of a, a smaller watch brand from an artisanal maker is this idea that other people may have not heard of it, and when you tell them, "I bought this for this price." everyone's like deathly afraid of like the wrong person saying you did what? Like, like, like this would be the world's biggest insult or something, which it's not. But like, what is the professionally accepted way of convincing someone don't worry about the fact that you, only you, you're the only person in the room that knows about this, you know? Cause again, it's yeah. you, it's uh, some people call it education, but what it really is, is getting over this sort of hurdle that once you get over, it's cool, but a lot of consumers can't get over it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, is a, there are two aspects. Uh, one is that the most successful brands out there, they've done a great job in uh, frustrating and in making so many people unhappy. So <laughs> people are naturally open to hear more and to learn more, because when you are told that you dream watch, Uh, you know, that you can't have uh, a dream watch that maybe your granddad used to have or your dad used to have or you've seen in a store in the center of Milan when you were 20 years old and you said, when 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 I'm successful, I want to buy that watch. And you finally, you finally are successful. You go and try to get that watch and you're told that uh, uh, first, if you can step into the store. You're asked which other watches have you bought before, um, and then uh, you're asked, uh, you know, uh, what is your <laughs> credit <laughs> history, and then uh, you are told that maybe you have to wait for three, four, five, six, seven years. If ever uh, you may or may not get that watch that you've, you've been dreaming about, then there are two reactions one is for people to buy a holiday instead or to get a car instead, and there are others that are really passionate and they go and and say, okay, I'm going to dig, I'm going to try to expand my knowledge. I'm going to try to find out if there is anything that can give me a portion of that that satisfaction that I was looking for, say, for the last 20 years. fair,
0: Fair point. On your website, on the limited edition, there are a vast number of watches that if somebody wants, you'll you'll help them get it. How many of those watches uh, are actually gonna be very difficult to get? Because some of those have to be made on order, and so you're lamenting the fact that some of these mainstream watches are hard to get. But is it not true that by definition, many of these independent watches have to be made on order, can take a long time, have built-in delays, for some people, that's part of the charm. Maybe that's not the best, uh, you know, strategy of creating contrast between what you offer and, you know, that hard to get Rolex.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're you're totally spot on, and you're absolutely right. Um, the 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 question and the issue here is to, is giving exposure. The reason why from from four brands we are now representing over sixty brands, and I'm still uh, completing our portfolio with whatever I believe I find interesting should be on the platform, is because you want to expose people as opposed to channel people to the same thing. So you want to work openly with collectors to understand where the passion and the taste uh, lies. So you can then, uh, you can then, um, uh, recommend, uh, you know, one or the other, or the other maker and absolutely not to try, tr- you know, try not to create the hype on the same thing for everybody so you kind of try to avoid that um, uh, bottleneck that uh, it's created when the hype is much bigger than uh, you know than what the the offer can uh, can sustain so you're absolutely right uh, there is a paradox in in artisanal watchmaking because by definition as you say it will be scarce it will be limited it will be difficult for everybody to uh, to, to to get if you like but the thing that i contest is the fact that uh, is the obsession with one brand or the other one and and uh, I want to be that guy saying, you know, listen, you don't have to uh, to lose your sleep over this brand because maybe look at what these other guys do or this contemporary watchmaker does, you know, that nobody is even considering. But look, is is you know, one example? I don't know what um, John McGonigal with his brand uh, Elon in Ireland, you know, um, restoring this uh, incredible uh, historical Valjoux uh, movement with a full calendar chronograph, you know, nobody nobody knew about about him. And when we exposed him, you know, I had a few customers that were honestly, uh, Patek collectors typ- typically, Langenzone collectors typically, and they're still thanking me uh, for exposing them to, uh, to to the work of uh, of John McGonigal. So uh, I, of course, my policy is not then to push John McGonigal uh, and to to make it, to create hype around John McGonigal, but it's to find a viable solution for somebody that maybe is looking for an annual calendar, or, a, or you know, or, or, or a chronograph with a, with an open back with spectacular features, um, to to consider other things. So that's that's the idea. But yeah, you're quite right, Ariel. Sometimes I found myself into having to slow down the hype uh, on a few like a few success, very big successes that we had. For example, I, I want to mention the, the Joker. For instance, but we launched also a limited edition with a brand called Ophion recently that w- was sold so quickly that I was appalled. Um, but yes, yeah, sometimes it also needs to be slowed down on the side of the independent watch uh, watchmakers.
0: I want to change tack for a second here and, and talk about things that make watch stores online separate from one another. Um, we have entered the era where we know that most of the watch buying activity ...around the world is probably going to be internet dominated. And watch stores online cannot be simply cookie cutter um, versions of one another with a different you know, store logo and slightly different products in there. Sure. Stores online, just like retail stores, are going to have to have their own personality. And, and part of that is curation, what they sell... And you have a couple of things sort of going for you here. One, of course, is the types of brands you carry, but also, which I, I find interesting and you don't see very often, is this sort of um, overall way you curate. You go to the website and you see here, I, I thought this was interesting, rare watches, limited editions of over 100 pieces, some of under 100 pieces, and then absolutely unique, you know, one-of-a-kind watches – you know, given that you curate that way, do you find that that particular way of funneling has been effective in finding some new customers or selling watches that may have not otherwise been discovered? Yes, so
1: obviously this was intended to be a business for us, besides the passion that I have and we have in terms of the group of shareholders. That's okay, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. A group of shareholders that I've had the luck to have behind me, uh, who are all friends, uh, equally passionate about watchmaking, and they've given me uh, infinite time Develop things the way we thought uh, would have been appropriate, and I'm very grateful for that. But the first lesson I learned, and I think that was a good one, is compared to whatever else others are doing, what you know, how can I do things in a slightly different way? What can I put that is not there yet? Uh, Which is, by the way, in the nature of all the independent watchmakers that we we love, you know, they become what they become often because of how different they can be compared to anyone else on the market. So if I could translate that key into also what we were doing commercially, uh, the question mark was would would that be preferable rather than trying to be a generalistic website that would sell, you know, a Rolex on the side and a Patek and then a Lange. And then, you know, if we're lucky, we start selling two or three independents, which was a model that was already explored in a big way and where the big money also of uh, venture capitalists went, as we famously know, over the last uh, 10 years. So we always decided to stay small to keep that uh, freedom to make decisions based on curation, like you just said. And uh, that curation you just described, we are going to change now. And we're going to introduce next month um, a categorization based on independent brands, uh, contemporary watchmakers, and uh micro brands because it's something that it's in our it, in our um in our how, how can i say uh, uh, in our conversation at the moment we do a lot of uh, broadcasts on instagram where we discuss the things related to watchmaking and we we see that people understand that um uh, very very much uh, at the moment uh, so yeah the way of curating is a way of uh, representing our our business for what we try to be in a very specific way the, uh, the fact that i put my face on it from the beginning was exactly for the for the simple idea that you know you know everyone can start a website and put a, a bunch of brands on the website regardless of if the brands are famous or less famous but what people can't Copy eventually you can't reproduce is your language and your your, your appearance and uh, and the um, the narrative that's the word I was looking for before the narrative that you put out there. So we we always decided to go s- uh, slightly laterally to what we see on the market. And that's why we are also infinite, infinitely smaller than the, the, the famous, you know, uh, 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 retailers that you you were mentioning, mentioning before, but we don't, we don't mind that. Like, you know, like Bernard Lederer doesn't mind to be infinitely smaller than, uh, you know, uh, some other incredible watch brands out there.
0: Now, do you have exclusive exclusive agency for some of these brands, uh, or is it all over the place? Cause I imagine as you scale, being able to have some type of control over the growth and the success is important. And again, I, I may, maybe I'll say that as a friendly warning, I have seen many others who find a successful niche only to find that because of greed and unfairness that's taken away from them by the very people they have helped. Um, What are you doing very practically to secure the little empire that you that you build?
1: Yes. So uh, it's a great point. Uh, We are official retailers for uh, all the brands that are listed in our brands page on the website. We also do a little bit of secondary market because we have a a number of collectors that just they want us to deal with their pre-owned uh, timepieces as long as they belong to the sphere of the independence and we don't mind that but we're just too small to do that in a in a in a scalable way it's one of the things we may want to develop in the in the foreseeable future right and yes in terms of uh, what you just mentioned is so interesting Ariel because uh, so when when I started this, I was dreaming about you know officially retailing MBNF, Debetune, uh, Moser, uh, you know Ulrich, uh, the, the 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 independents that were already quite um, established back in uh, 2014. You know when I was working for Perigo, I remember. We were working on the movement for the HM2 uh, for Max at the time, and I was kind of, you know, in 2008, I think that was. I was kind of wondering, why is this guy doing? It's it's amazing, you know, that he's decided right, to come yeah, out with yeah. uh, such a
0: such a yeah brave brave uh, plan. People forget that the all the first ones use GP at the base movement.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, Max is a friend, and uh, you know, I talked about him. Uh, sorry, I talked to him about uh, the limited edition from the beginning. But, you know, arguably um bnF or they didn't need us uh, because they, they already established themselves as the solid fundament of this, this second wave of independent watchmaking, as I call it. Because the first wave for me was the beginning of the AHCI in the 80s when, uh, you know, Sven Andersen, Bernard Lederer, uh, you know, George Daniels, um, Vincent Calabrese... Uh, really, really put the basis for, for what is happening now. But anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm getting very long on, 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 in answering this, but, uh, so arguably, even if Moser, we were, we were briefly official retailers for Moser and, uh, uh and, uh, and then we lost the brand because arguably they didn't get exta- established because of, uh, support or the help that we brought into the picture. So yeah the risk was there and we suffered uh, because of that risk. But for all the other brands where we, we grafted and we put the hard work in when they were not known at all, uh, or where, you know, we would be you know together with yourself and maybe a few, a few others, the only ones to even talk about it. And then we brought some commercial success on the table for them. Then uh, relationships cement. And then, uh, you know, that you can count on each other. Now, uh, things can always happen and can always change. And I don't sign contracts um, nearly uh, ever because I think contracts, uh, I don't believe necessarily in contracts to keep relationships uh, alive, but I believe in, in give and take. So we, when we show that we put the hard work and we really support, even when we're not making any money out of it, then it gives you some leverage for then in the future being able to rely on brands. And I can give you a few examples, you know, brands like Kudoki, uh, brands like Chapek, brands like, uh, and I'm calling them brands, but let's say m- watchmakers, uh, Chapek, Kudoki, I was going to mention Chaikin uh, I was going to mention Laurent Ferrier, even when we started with Laurent Ferrier, there was, a, you know, there were certain issues on the devaluation uh, the on the secondary market, And it didn't look like the easy, <laughs> you know, the easy, go- the easy brand that it is today, where we are booking We're booking orders in for 2026. So oh, I remember. (laughs) I think also being based in the states. I think you know exactly what I what I mean. So yeah, and when you put your face and the brand puts his face and you go out there and you do lies, you know, uh, and you kind of uh, create this uh, this um, link between what you do and what the brand does, then it's difficult for a brand to say and to explain. Oh no, you know, Pietro is a nice guy, but now we're gonna go our way, and because. That would upset necessarily some of the audience, if you if you like. So, I believe in organic, in organic creation of relationships, rather than in signing contracts and then uh, and then uh, you know expecting everybody to stick to a contract. Because I remember when I was a rich one, you know, contract yeah, <laughs> contract was a contract. But there's there's ways, there's always ways, you know, to get out whenever you want. So yeah. Maybe I'm giving too much away, but anyway, <laughs> I'm, no, free. I mean, I'm free now.
0: <laughs> honestly, I have very muted emotions as someone who is technically a contract attorney. <laughs> so I, I understand what you're saying. But no, what you say makes sense. And that is that uh, oftentimes today it's 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 relationship of convenience. And you work together as long as it's convenient. When it's not, hopefully has a maturity to exit gracefully. But all parties pulling their weight is so important in the competitive space of luxury watches, that you can't have um, you can't have parties participating that aren't really doing something, and it is not always the case that watch brand and watch retailer are a good fit. And when they're not, for a whole variety of reasons, really of a whole variety, it's actually the best thing to separate. Uh, but that's a very different thing than we've been working together great for 15 years. Now you're pulling out. What happened? That's different than we tried it for eighteen months, didn't work out. Let's 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 try a different relationship. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you're talking about.
1: I agree, I agree. And uh, you just have to be humble enough to understand that you know you can't be everybody's friend all the time, and uh, um, your your priority and your objective sometimes may not be aligned to the the the, the, the objectives of a of a maker. Uh, but for I find that for as long as we give more than what we take, which has always been like the philosophy we've, we, we've had. And I think, you know, it must be quite similar for a blog to watch as well, Ariel. You've been a master of giving out, you know, before uh, uh, eventually, you know, uh, making um, uh, your business something uh, that w- was finally commercially viable because I remember you um, uh, at the beginning. So marketing and, and relationships today are very much about giving. Uh, before then, you know, uh, hopefully uh, getting something in return in return. but when you're the first giving out, then normally in our world, which is a very small world, things are um, uh, recognized and uh, and there is a certain respect to that or at least eight years down the line i <laughs> I can only talk about ninety five percent of positive uh, positive experiences uh, so far.
0: well, I will say this when I first started out, I I did off actually your work, which was to help people learn about some of these independent brands, and I helped sell an awful lot of them. I was not compensated for any of that, <laughs> so I helped a lot of people make fortunes, and they loved me for it. And for years, I I I never knew why I was so popular with them, and then I realized, like uh, you know, I was giving them just free money. All they had to do was give me a watch for a few minutes to take pictures of. And you know, as I grew, I had to I had to dedicate less and less time to them, just. Just naturally, but I I know exactly what it is that you're talking about when it comes, you know, to really needing to see eye to eye because you are facilitating their business. They need what you are doing. You cannot run a business selling watches and making watches at the same time, especially at the scale that many of these independent watchmakers are. There is an actual finite numbers. Number of hours in the day. and and in the the most difficult calculus they should be making is, do I dedicate time to making new watches or dedicate time to fulfilling orders? Once they start throwing in customer service, sales, r- distribution, logistics, they're done. They're already done. So your job, Pietro, as you know, is to make sure they're doing one of those two things: designing something new or fulfilling orders. You need to be like absolutely. a taskmaster sometimes, right?
1: I think you're right. We are a bit of a cons- you know marketing slash sales consultant, you know, for watchmakers that ultimately they have so many orders that if they don't make watches every single day, uh, they may be in trouble in the, in the, in the future. Um, it's absolutely right, and also. I wouldn't underestimate the, the idea, of the very abstract idea of putting things in perspective is actually our core business, putting things in perspective. When I was working for girard when I was working for Montegrappa, when I was working for Graham Watches later on, all I had in mind was the brand I was working for. And my vision of the world of watchmaking was fairly limited to that, I have to admit, because that was enough of a job for me to fill the whole of the day and the night. So. For collectors to have somebody that can actually take a step out, you know, and actually, yeah, still appreciating every single maker, it can give you an access that also put things in perspective. And I had a conversation today with a collector this morning before I, I got in touch with you, uh, Ariel, and uh, um, I loved it because the client was was really asking me you know there is this subscription going on it's a lot of money I, I know I'm going to get one or two watches in the next few months but do you think this would be uh, you know the, the 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 right fit for me or shall I shall I shall I wait for something else something else to come out soon and I would give that vision and that uh insider information of the things that I know are going to happen and then I would honestly say because we have so many brands uh, and and names that we actually represent. I don't need to sell one more Laurent Ferrier because I have the stock on the shelves. I don't need to sell one more Chaikin because I have them in the safe. I can, uh, we are in the position where we can sit and talk and just say, you know, know, let's wait six months. You know, why don't you consider next year? Because I know that these other watchmakers are going to come out with something absolutely great. Um, And again, because we are now under pressure from our shareholders. Uh, in terms of uh, growing big, um, we 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 can just do that, and and people appreciate that. Uh, as opposed to, of course, if I was running a boutique in the center of London and I had a huge stock behind my back, you know, uh, arguably, uh, you know, I, I'll have to kind of uh, channel, you know, the uh, the, um, the 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 demand onto onto the items that I need uh, to to sell. Same way as you, Ariel, have, uh, have pushed. The independence at the beginning, you have gained a freedom and the respect on, on your independence of mind uh, that you you were talking, you were pushing uh, things that you you were not necessarily making money on. And so that gives you a that gives you a very very valuable asset,
0: I I believe, for what we do. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blogged Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at The Blog to Watch store. Right now, The Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at The Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Block to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Block to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to com. That's store.ablocktowatch.com. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's such a Complicated and long conversation. The world of independence, what, how they're motivated, what the watches are like, what you should be buying, how to handle cut things, the like customization. It's a whole other area of collecting that is is not frequently educated. Um, you know, it's it's. I, I love talking about it. I find as I mature as a collector these are where my interests lead more. And which is very different than a lot of my peers. I find that a lot of my peers, as they mature, they just end up wearing Rolexes and Omegas and stuff like that. And I find some of the least personal satisfaction, there's nothing wrong with those watches. They're fantastic watches. But in terms of the emotional gratification that I'm looking for as a collector, I look to this stuff. I need the personality, the originality, the playfulness. Um... You know, this is this is a lot more closely related to artwork uh, because they are trying to be expressive as opposed to sort of regurgitative of a theme that has already been in, in existence, and and I find myself drawn to it. Um, you know, I, I guess I guess another question for you is is when it comes to price, um, you know. Is there a sweet spot you recommend for people because you have products you represent that are just a few thousand or hundreds of thousands of uh you know where are some of the sweet spots that you like when it comes to sort of quality and 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 price and things like that
1: Yes yeah, so wow that's a, that's a great question so we have spent quite a few years because of our um, philosophy to uh to strongly promote affordable independent mechanical watchmaking uh, so Uh, with the idea that there is an independent mechanical watch out there for any, any pocket. And this, we've been successful in that. And uh, we have discovered that, um, you know, it is possible to, 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 to collect, um, uh, reputable and valuable, uh, watchmaking starting from as low as, you know, 600, dollars if you, if you like, or even, yeah, $500 with this, uh, I would say then up to, as you say, two, three million, you know, there's, uh, there's no limits for me when you start, uh, talking about in-house and not in-house, uh, movement manufacturing, case manufacturing, dial manufacturing, you know, are you better than me? That there are no miracles. So if you're looking for a fully handmade product, you know the the price tag goes up very very quickly. But I have to say that for the first time in a long time, um, there are some incredible things at the price point uh, under ten thousand dollars or Swiss francs, uh, if you like. And we've seen it with a, a brand you know, and a watchmaker called Kudoki, for example, when uh, they won the uh, the Aiguille d'or at the Grand Prix de la Rogerie, I think it was 2019 for offering incredible value uh, in-house artisanal manufacturing for less than 10,000 uh, 10, uh, Swiss francs. So I think that is one of the uh, the very, very happy uh, price uh, price points at the moment. Uh, besides that, the second one that comes to mind is the 20 to 30,000, where you would buy, uh, you know, you could either buy something not necessarily very exciting from some of the big brands um if I if I'm allowed to say that, whereas you can you can get something really amazing, you know, on uh, on some of the independent watchmakers. One example is the collaboration between Schwarz Etienne and Karivutilainen, for example, on the Roma Synergy Limited Edition, which is one of the many collaborations that Kari Line has had in the last few years but that one is the most personal i like to say because it's actually signed by Kari voti line and um on the movement itself and the and the decoration of the movement and the dial is something really to to behold and the price was when it came out was 20,000 uh pounds which is uh which is uh, yeah which was uh, really successful so these are the two price spots. i i want to i want to add another one there is um there is also the on the five hundred six hundred dollars uh, pounds. There is a maker we don't even represent him. Uh, you know, it's called a studio underdog. Is a young guy from the UK. Is um, is uh, uh, making uh, basically he's sourcing some uh, amazing mechanical movements. From China, uh, so giving exposure to uh, to quality Chinese make, um, movement making, and selling it uh, under the name of Studio Underdog uh, internationally for four hundred pounds. And every time it comes out with a with a batch of production, they they go they go uh, in 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 a matter of minutes, and um, and. And, and that is to show that, yeah, uh, once again, there is something exciting to be found at any price range, literally uh, these days. Then it depends on how much one is into, you know, the making of every part or a part of the part or uh, the in-house finishing, for example, that we know is, uh, is, is is the name of the game these days in independent watchmaking because then right, the, the, the word, like you say, the word art, comes into the picture. And like you, I believe that some of these watchmakers are the contemporary uh, artists of this time. And I think in 100, 200, 300 years, people will look back at what's happening now uh, and this incredible renaissance of the art of uh, of watchmaking.
0: To someone that doesn't know watches and isn't familiar with the terminology that we know so well, how do you describe the watches that you, you carry and represent? Because again, to someone on the outside, you have to classify. And we know terms like independent watches don't really mean too much unless it's it's highly contextually related. How would you define to just, you know, uh, your grandmother, for example, the, the types of brands, you know, what, what puts them all in the same category? Yes. So
1: my grandmother, bless her, I would tell her, you know, uh, beautiful mechanical machines made in, an, in, a, in, a, in a lovely and incredible way. Uh, to uh, people that are listening to this, um, I would talk about mechanical art. Uh, mechanical art is the word uh, for me. I am. Uh, I was absolutely faber that, you know, um, the art of watchmaking has, has been recognised finally in the UNESCO patrimony only in 2020. After you know, uh, people like uh, us know very well that at least at least for 300 years we can talk about um, watchmaking as a form of art without a shadow of doubt, if you think uh, about the, wor- the work of the masters, you know in, uh, in London first, and then in, uh, in Germany, Holland, and then obviously France, Switzerland, states um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But yeah, uh, as it happens, Only in 2020, um, the art of watchmaking has been recognized as the uh, world heritage, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, world patrimony. It's hard to name.
0: define, though, right? It's such a hard thing to do.
1: I think if you, if you, I mean, if you check out the actually the literal definition of art, um, uh, you know, as an expression of uh, of uh, uh, you know of the human ability uh, to uh, to create. It, it no, I be meant that hard. I meant the
0: types of watches you sell. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to come up with a. Oh, to define uh, them, of course. Yeah, of course, of no, course. because again, as I always think, mainstream, I. Notice something interesting right now. The young people right now that know about watchmaking uh, exceeds the number of people over the last 10 years. But these people are still too young to do anything with that awareness. I believe that in five, 10, especially 15 years, there's going to be this very strange surge in luxury watch buying. And no one's going to understand it, but it's related to the fact that this whole generation grew up now with like luxury watches on social media, like just like in their face, (laughs) like crazy. Um, And I wonder what they're going to be into and, and why they're going to be into it and things like that. But there's like this big wave coming and it will be exciting for those who can capture it. But I have no idea exactly what they're going to be into other than Rolex.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I hope you know, watchmaking as an art will always be a niche in a in a way, and I hope it stays like that. Also, as you said, for the inner limitations that there are on the on, on producing, you know, these beautiful objects. But I think we will always owe you know to the big brands the um, the credit. Of, uh, of 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 letting people understand that it is fine and it is okay to indulge on a very expensive, anachronistic item that is made to tell the time but actually represents a completely different uh, different thing. Um, and 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 why why do I say this? Because in the end, uh, yeah, the watch watch, um, especially mechanical watch, still is the one thing where yeah you can invest a lot of money but you can actually enjoy. Uh, day in day out. I know it's very very uh, how can I say uh, it's um, it's not the most original of ideas, but if you think about it, you know out of all the places where you can put a lot of money in, I can't find anything more personal, more um, enjoyable and uh, and more, how can I say also um, tradable, <laughs> you know than uh, than a mechanical watch. The fact that if you develop it as a, as a hobby, you can also then enjoy it from the point of view of the cultural um, side, uh, it becomes an, a, a massive additional uh, additional element in my view.
0: I, I want your opinion on something, um, and that is related to sort of the healthy economy of, of our watch industry. And I believe that, the industry would be very well served by having some ability, some more convenient ability for consumers to offload unwanted watches. Right now, there are are ways to do it plenty. I don't know that there's a dominant way. You could make a listing on eBay. Mm. You could sell to a dealer, of Mm. course. Um, But I feel that there's a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of inefficiency. And you know, in in a lot of those. Uh, And I guess when it comes down to it, I believe that the easiest way for someone to buy a new watch is to feel that they can comfortably offload, you know, an old one. And it's not just about getting the max price for it. It's just something about making it a more convenient process. So my question for you is, if it was up to you, how would people be uh, trading, so to say, their old watches away, uh, you know, with the interest of wanting to get new ones, of course?
1: I'm trying to think from the perspective of the you know, me being a collector rather than uh, eventually, uh, obviously, uh, a business here. But um, for me, I'm the kind of person that I, I believe in per- in people, and uh, I believe, from my personal perspective, the reason why I'm so much into watchmaking is because with the world going so digital and so abstract and so, like we discussed at the beginning, uh, having having something so real on the on the wrist or in front of me, uh, or, uh, around which I can have a conversation with friends is something that makes me feel more human, if you like, and more, um, uh, real in a, in a way. So for me, in terms of moving my, my, my watches, I would rely on somebody I trust today. Um, so. Uh, And that's what we are trying to do at the limited edition because I recognize that collectors, when they're excited about a new watch, they think about the new watch. And if they've decided to replace the old watch with a new watch it's because they've lost that click on the old watch. So they just want somebody to take care of it and to, in good faith, obviously try to get the best that they can get, uh, you know, uh, financially. So I believe in that that human, uh, human context. You may argue, and I know, Uh, because there's a massive grey area in the secondary market which is relating to the origin and the history of of every timepiece because being luxury... Uh, luxury products, you know, history can be very dodgy <laughs> to say the least, or could be very, very blurry sometimes. And I know that there are new technologies such as the NFTs that come in the, in the conversation to to try to make things as objective as possible, so that everybody can trade their watches as if it was a currency on the stock market, which would be ideal in in, in you know for people to then uh, do that in confidence. But for me. The NFT, for example, is something that is again so so, so immaterial and so disconnected from the human element that it's something that I have refused so far to take into. Uh, consideration. And I decided to go the lazy way of keep nurturing the, 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 the human, uh, uh, relationships if you, if you like. So I don't know if that answer answers the question, but I would say I believe in personal relationships and I do recognize that something like NFTs will bring a, a good deal of, uh, objectivity to, um, to, to a difficult, uh, a difficult, uh, um, um, market (laughs) but not not my thing yet
0: well i think we can both agree that there is a solution out there that the market is is desirous of something it's not an easy answer but there are many many ways of creating efficiencies and ways of making money in the watch space right now i think the problem is in and again i was unfortunate to go into media thinking that i would Go into an industry that was traditionally ad-supported, only to realize, oh, everybody wants to sell things now, mm. and I have tried to find, you know, a, a non-retail way uh, of doing that. And, and again, I'm in a fortunate position because we, we, you know, we do a lot of good work and a lot of people recognize that. But when I went into what I did, it was under the assumption that you would make money from advertisers. Uh, the brands and things like that, you know, be them watches or otherwise. When in reality now, the market is you make money from the buyers, right?
1: Yeah, I see exactly
0: what you mean. It's, it's the, the, the calculus has changed. And so all the activities with the buyers, whether that's buying new watches, selling watches, buying pre-owned watches, ordering accessories and things, right? Right. You know, and things like that. And so What I've been observing, and and you as well, of course, is a battle. It's a real battle um, for consumer attention, channels, distribution, pricing. um, And I recognize that there's so, so much volatility in certain spaces, such as what does retail look like in the future. I leave it to retails. You know, I always feel that if you are someone selling watches on a consistent basis and are proud of what you're doing, you're going to want to work with media. And that has been sort of my um, long-term, you know, mentality about how things will settle down. Um, But you still only right now have the emergence of strong online players. You know, even Richemont, who owns a few of them, has really not invested too much. You know, they have Mr. Porter, they have Watchfinder and things like yeah. that. You know, given how long they've owned it, given what they could be doing, pretty modest investments. You know what I mean? So you don't really see big players, you know, the watches of Switzerland's of the world. You They don't canvas everywhere like, a, like an old school department store. Like in a city like Los Angeles, you have Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom's and Macy's. Department store advertising everywhere. These these were the giants that owned, you know, so much of your attention span. You don't really have that online right now with watch stores, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I I I I totally agree. I I've, I still think we are in a massive transition phase, you know. And the proof of a fact is that you know somebody like me with a with a with a very small capital could set up something, um, you know relevant you know of, uh, even if we are still very small um uh, in a market that should be actually um highly highly uh, competitive i don't believe that the big groups you mentioned uh, ariel still know where exactly they are going in that respect and i think the battle on the secondary market still is to be to be fought and to be uh, uh, to be um uh, unleashed if if you like so i don't think anyone has the has the recipe uh, yet, and I think venture capitalists as well are having a lot of hope because every time you see one of these platforms, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, going for uh, for uh, for a capitalization, there's incredible amount of money being thrown I'll at. I'll tell you,
0: I'll tell you mm-hmm. what I'm against. I'm gonna get on my soapbox here. I'm against the hoarding model, and the hoarding yeah. models where a couple of small players acquire huge inventories of pre-owned and then sit on of it. Course waiting for those models to be hot and selling them for a high price, like an asset that you sit on. And I can understand that strategy, but it's not that effective to do consistently. And what you end up doing is just preventing a lot of watches that would be on people's wrists out of the the, the mainstream. And I think that Mm -hmm. watches should be in the possession of someone wanting to actually wear it a maximum amount of time. And you can assume that watches can have I don't know. Your average luxury watch can have what up to 5, maybe 6, maybe sometimes 7 or more owners.
1: Yeah, I don't uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to open that big big um big topic. Um uh, you know, price manipulation in in, in in you know, the name tells everything, you know. Uh it, it is a practice yeah. that nobody,
0: wa- sh- nobody wants to be manipulated. We can literally just end it there. Nobody wants to be manipulated, exactly. we can move exactly.
1: on. In terms of uh, the reputation that you want to have on the market, and secondly, also the business practices, because, you know, I know a few markets where price manipulation is actually
0: forbidden. So,
1: it's, you know, uh, I don't want to get...
0: Uh, where Where are those markets?
1: No, I mean, uh, I mean, in in general, through the if you've, I've studied economics in uh, in uh, back in the days at university, and uh, you know, uh, when you when you talk about cartels and you talk about price manipulation in general, it is something that is 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 edgy uh, from a business pers- perspective, and uh, yeah, and and it's not either recommended or sometimes permitted in certain circumstances. But I don't want to go too specific about that. But let's say that when in our so in our little world, we have built our business totally based on the reputation and uh, and reliability that we can offer to the bunch of collectors that I have blessed them, decided to uh, um, to to, to um, you know to to work with us. And so any sort of tactical strategy uh, that goes uh, out of the, uh, the 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 decent mutual um, trust. Is something that I would never ever venture in. Uh, we could have, you know, I give you an example. We could have done it easily with the Joker, you know, by taking when, uh, you know, I I'm sure you you remember the Joker was retail initially at seven thousand dollars, and uh, very quickly everyone saw that it was going to become a big big thing.
0: And I we heard were, about that. I have one yeah. of them.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, nice one, nice one. We were the only retailers for a number of uh, of years uh, here in Europe. And we could have put everything in the safe. We could have kept it for a long time, and then you know everyone knows how you can play those games. But um, the, the stakes of losing losing your reputation and, and, and upsetting the same people that actually you have made your mission to 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 make happy uh, was uh, was a very very big deterrent for you know. If Look, we, I'm we, just
0: gonna say what you're talking about is the rampant issue of greed in this industry. When you sell something for more than you need to, you're being greedy. Okay, if you bought something, for example, for $5,000 or it costs you that to manufacture it and you want to sell it for $8,000 or $10,000 or whatever, okay, you know what? That's understandable. You want to make a, a profit off of yeah. your hard work or or something like that. But if, if, you're, if, you're, if your price into that is $5,000, then you just think you deserve $50,000 for it, you're just greedy. Yeah. Yep. No one deserves that margin of profit. I mean, I think in society and capitalism, a conversation we don't talk about, and I think it's very important in this space because it's 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 what allows people to feel comfortable comfortable in pricing Absolutely. is margin integrity. What's a margin that we feel is ethical? I think, you know, a certain percentage. I like I think 30% is like a golden number, but a thousand percent, hell no. I uh,
1: you know, uh, and and you don't want to come across necessarily as the good guy because it sounds good, you know, in the in the marketing wild jungle. But it's also, also from the business perspective, it is fully justified because people relate and trust you because you bring value to them. So if the the the, the mission of your business is to create value for collectors, as I have mul- I have I have declared multiple times, um, then that is what collectors would define as value the fact that they know that if they deal with you they know that you would have a, a certain uh, ethic related to whatever you're going to you're going to propose then are we always right uh, the answer is probably no but for as long as you explain things for as long as you know i have a client for example he wants to sell um a very 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 nice uh, Uh, timepiece that everyone knows is impossible to find. And he he wants, he he would like obviously to make a a profit on it. So then when I'm going to pitch it to the other collector that wants the same watch, I'm going to explain to him, I'm going to say, listen, there is a premium on this particular watch. This is the premium because the guy that purchased this, you know, obviously waited for three, four years, whatever. And, uh, you know, are you in agreement with that or are you not? And that's when you are open about these sorts of conversations i find that uh, things become uh, become much uh, much easier uh, rather than uh, trying to just take control and secretly then ramp up prices for your own uh, for your own gain uh, in a way
0: so many things that we could be talking about we're almost out of time oh, yeah. i wanted to just ask one more sort of area of questions and that is what does the limited edition do next to grow? You know, how do you scale right now? Obviously, you don't want to get too big. But of course, you know, you still probably do a lot of the taking out the garbage, so to say. I know I do. How do you grow? You know, where do you add on resources? What does your dream structure look like? I know you're a very sort of structural person. Tell me the ideal structure for your business. You know, what, what are you able to do and who do you add on?
1: Yeah, so um, there are several several uh, things. One you have touched upon, and it's the obviously curation of the secondary market, uh, because I like to take responsibility for any uh, timepiece that our collectors purchase from us, and then if the time comes for them to have to think about moving those items, I would like to be their first port of call and and offer and offer a great service. Um, we, we, we weren't able to be able to do this in a structured way so far again, because we're, we're small, but now at the moment we are hiring a few, a few, uh, a few more people. We have our headquarter in the Midlands in, uh, in, uh, in the UK, and we have a very light presence in, in London, whether this present is going to become uh, bigger in future is something also on the table that we may entertain for the future. Also because London is, is a puzzle for me, like you know, uh, there's nothing in terms of the independence. There is one retailer uh, that, that 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 does a few a few um, independents, but uh, the, uh, the the legendary uh, retailers for independent uh, uh, makers of the past have have disappeared. So today, if you if you shop around, they're all Man- they're all gone. Basically basically yes basically yes yeah. it like
0: Marcus Marcus was in London right
1: Marcus uh, Marcus they have a private showroom uh, but they are only official uh, retailers for Grubel and 4 z and I, I don't want to say anything uh, anything uh, uh incorrect but they have been for a long time I don't know if they are still are now but th- that was the last brand that they officially carried all the others they had they had okay. stopped uh, they have a private showroom in Berkeley Square where you can go and and, and see. Uh, yeah, I was just uh, in London. And- I had
0: no idea where to go. I mean, I saw, you know, the watches Switzerland and and stuff like that. But I don't know, you know, the permanent places, even, even pre-owned. I think they used to have great pre-owned showrooms in London. I don't know if those exist anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, there are a few, um, you know, a few pre owned dealers in the Barlington Arcades, for example, or all the arcades around Bond Street. And then, uh, uh, of course, there's the Watch Finder. And then uh, you have uh, the. Um, an ex Marcus uh, um, sales guy. His name is Nadim. is running the uh, Swiss Gallery boutique in. Um,
0: yes, I visited that. I visited yeah, that. And he's, uh, that was very he nice. He has four, five Richard Meal
1: four, five brands. Uh, I don't. Yeah, no, it doesn't have Richard Meal, but Richard Meal have a boutique. Yeah, in the same area. So you must have. Uh, no, must- it's
0: the pre-owned. They do the pre-owned Richard Meal.
1: Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that yeah, was, yeah. yeah. I think it was in Burlington Arcade. But uh, anyway, it's very scattered, and I know that if I wanted to make my life completely different to what it is now, you know, having <laughs> something in London would be the, the thing to do. But uh, I'm, not, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. I want to.
0: Take that step yet, we'll, uh, So a lot of a lot of things to figure out, but exciting times ahead.
1: Absolutely, and thank and thanking me for going through all of these things uh, <laughs> and helping me to understand how we can uh, develop things f- uh, forward in the future.
0: No, but this is you know I I think that I have to keep you know pounding this topic because it keeps coming up again and again and again over the course of me doing superlative shows. Is this problem solving? And figuring things out and very basic sort of levels of entrepreneurialism of, of, you know, startup mentality stuff, which is really necessary in the watch industry today. And the reason that the big corporations like Richemont are not investing in this space because there aren't successful models that they know how to dump money into. They're letting schmucks like us figure it out first, right? Let these guys do the hard work, figure out what's successful, then I'll buy it from them.
1: You know, um, you have a massive point that it's, uh, yes. So Richmond decided to incorporate, you know, one of the arguably the most successful uh, uh, business in uh, in the secondary market, uh, Watchfinder. But also, have you ever thought that neither Richmond or... Caring or Swatch ever dared, you know, to open a multi a multi brand boutique in 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 London or uh, or in New York under, you know, with with their own brands. That tells you a lot uh, about how uh, it is a business model that is still still very tricky and difficult to to figure out. And it's not because you have a big name that you necessarily have a uh, healthy and successful business, actually. Because I have my answer to that, and I believe I believe the answer is that. Is because it's the other side of the business that is the um, uh, the decider. So the 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 link that you build with, the, like you said, with the final user, uh, that is is the key. Well, I'm than- gonna,
0: I'm just gonna confirm your point there, and maybe just summarize for even you, because I think it's also good for you to know where why you're successful, and you're essentially selling yourself. You are a conduit. Uh, to buy watches, but you're selling the relationship with you. You will appeal very strongly to some people. Others will prefer to have a watch-buying relationship with another salesperson. That's fine. There's different consumers out there. But the watch brands fundamentally can't replace this sort of like watch buddy slash sales agent. That you're not trying to sell one brand gives you the ability to act more like a consultant, that you can funnel the right product, if it was just one brand, uh, then it'd be more like the relationship someone has, like the sales guy, like a Porsche dealer. Like, you know, it, it's not really their car buddy, right? It's just more like a sales. I think person. you are,
1: you are spot on. I think you are spot on, and that gives you, as an entrepreneur, is the one gift that everyone has: is the fact that for as good or as bad that you can be, nobody can be you, basically. So then you would, you would cater for just one niche, but in that niche, you can be. You can be yourself, especially because I model this business around what I, I really am. You know, I'm a I'm a guy, I love music. I, I've always been into Les Paul guitars, but I've always loved to experiment on all the other guitars that nobody would have a clue about. I love rock music. I was into Metallica, but I've always loved experimenting on all the other bands that no, I love one, Metallica else,
0: too.
1: Yeah, no one else would have ever heard about. So when I go out there, it's not... It's not um, it's not painful for me because i'm not trying to project something i'm not I, it it is actually me for as uh, as silly and is as, and is as simple okay as next conversation
0: up. heavy metal and watches okay Right, yeah, Pietro, absolutely. heavy metal watches.
1: Absolutely. If you want to add wine to the, you know, to the to the plate, we can do that as
0: well. We'll figure out a way <laughs> to mix it up. Okay. Uh we we've we've gone a little over time, but thank you so much. Pietro, please just let everyone know where to find your website, where to find your stuff, how can they connect with you?
1: Yeah, so we have a little uh, Instagram account called the limited edition dot uk where you can see the content uh, that we try to generate on a daily basis. The website, which is pretty much our window, is uh, thelimitededition.co.uk. And on the website, you find a, a WhatsApp uh, contact where, you know, we try to, uh, to be in touch as quickly and uh, as promptly as we, as we can. So, yeah, these are the places.
0: Thank you. This has been the Superlative Podcast. My guest has been Mr. Pietro Tomaier. Pietro, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Ariel. Appreciate your time and uh, well done for all what you do and the great podcasts you put out there to the world. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com.